is the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. Our mission is to train those who give spiritual counsel to others. Whatever your skill level, we offer accessible and practical advice to those whose life or work frequently leads them to spiritual conversations. Our goal is to foster a growing relational connection with and loyalty to the God of the Bible. We help people choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights on the dashboard of their lives. Our passion comes from the belief that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. This podcast, first launched a year ago, is a tool for training my expanding team of spiritual coaches at our growing multi-site church. I can't tell you how surprised I was that now hundreds of people are listening around the world. Wherever you are on the globe, Nancy and I are honored to have you aboard. Speaking of Nancy, my beautiful bride is in the studio with me today. (laughs) Well, thank you, honey. And hello, everyone. If you're interested in going back and listening to any of the three previous seasons, it would be helpful to begin with the first episode of season one. Each podcast is a standalone topical treatment, but they are episodic, so listening out of order will leave you without some necessary foundational content. Our intention with this podcast is to keep the explanation simple and relatable, and for the most part, avoid the clinical and theological terminology. So what I did is I swapped that out for modern and easily recognizable metaphors to explain spiritual and biblical ideas, as well as coaching techniques and, and approaches. Now, that doesn't mean that our content is overly simplistic or, or dumbed down or, or, or unhelpful to those who are further down the road, just that it's accessible and immensely usable. No matter your familiarity with the subject, you will be able to follow along at whatever level of experience and discover new ways to talk to others about spiritual subjects. Yes, and as we enter this fourth season, we will begin to offer true standalone episodes, tackling both new content as well as returning to subjects we already addressed but feel deserve greater attention. A new feature going forward will be answering specific questions that our listeners have submitted. Questions about specific spiritual coaching subjects or establishing and maintaining a spiritual coaching practice in your context. Listen to the end of the podcast and I will tell you how to submit questions and ideas for future episodes. Yes, and, and it's important that uh, I make a clarification. You understand my use of some terminology. Uh, in all of these podcasts, you, you know, I mentioned spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and those things consistently. Some people, when they hear those terms, especially if they've gone to church all their lives, might be tended to think about attending classes or amassing uh, intellectual understanding. And, and that's not what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. I'm talking about first-person, hands-on, experiential knowledge of God. Spiritual maturity is knowing Him. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And that's what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. If the relationship is strong and growing, everything else that's necessary to life as a follower of Jesus Christ will flow from that. In fact, we want you to know that we named the podcast The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard because just like the dashboard in your car, there are warning lights in our lives. They indicate to us that we need to do some heart work with God in order to step into our full potential. We need someone more qualified and experienced to do spiritual wrenching on our souls in order to improve our performance. Our dream for you is that you would unlock your potential through a heart healthy enough to know God deeply and follow Him fully, and then to pass your experience on to others. Now, without further delay, here is today's content. 
Today, we're going to discuss just what a hero or heroine looks like to God. In fact, in this and the next episode, I will give you six truths you need to know about becoming God's hero. So, I love a good action-packed adventure. Though the odds are always stacked against a hero, they bravely manage to tip the scales in their favor. When the dust settles, the universe is safe for another day. Why is that relevant? Well, as a spiritual coach, I hear at least one very sad story just about every day. Some days it's three or four painful and gloomy stories back to back, and if your day is full of ministry to others, you know how it is. When I get home at night and we decide to sit down to a movie, I usually am not in the mood for a mushy chick flick. I want no more emotion. I have got none left. I've cried and hurt and grieved enough. I want to see things get blown up in the most ridiculous way, far from anything remotely close to reality. I want explosions in space to sound like explosions, even though my son informs me that in space you would hear nothing. The more aliens, the better. I d do not even want a hint at a tear-jerking ending or anything even close to an emotional moment on the way there. I need to enjoy a few minutes as far removed from the realities of life on planet Earth as possible. I need anti-reality. Hollywood can always be depended on to misrepresent reality, no matter the subject. Be it an explosion-filled adventure or a heartwarming drama or most anything in between. Which, which is exactly why I turned there when I want an hour so reality-free. But recently, this truth drove me to ask myself, in real life, what makes a hero a hero? What makes a heroine a heroine? Really? And for this, I do not want a hollow, useless answer from Hollywood. How would God answer that question? How would He answer that question? I've watched countless numbers of uh, mindless guy flicks, and yet I do not know the answer to that. Clearly, what I was looking for was not going to be found in largely fake adventures portrayed by Tinseltown. Is heroine status possible in God's eye? Should I even be worried about becoming God's hero? If I should, how do I get there? And to answer that story, I decided to pursue some stories in the Bible. To answer that question, I decided to pursue some stories in the Bible of heroic adventures and hearts that were stout enough to stand strong and prevail as God's champion. And I'm going to share with you in the next two podcasts, this and the next, what I found there. So, how do real heroes and heroines pull it off? Not how the hero ends up with a guy or girl, but how do they not end up frozen in fear as the action passes them by? How do God's heroes know he will come through in the way they need him to, right when they need him to? Where does the pluck come from when the odds are so clearly stacked in, every, in someone else's favor? No, don't you dare give me a Sunday school answer. You know, like, like you just have to have more faith. I don't want that answer. That gives us nothing practical. While it is part of the answer, it brings up more questions than it answers. Where does that faith come from? How do we, how do we know? How do we have the courage to step out? How do we get chosen? How, how, how? Well, before I take you through those six truths, let's, uh, let's address a couple uh, other issues up front. First of all, it ain't sexy. Well, I am not sure I can answer all of those questions I just threw out there. I know, I think I know one reason the answer is elusive. And it's because being a hero or heroine is, is um, stimulating stuff. So we expect the how to be equally as thrilling. But when it comes to real life heroes, how is not very sexy. The way there is a lot less exciting than the there is. In fact, it's completely ordinary and expected predictable. It's not a secret, and anyone can do it. 
Anyone can be God's hero. That is why we miss it. We assume that only certain special people, those of great something, can be a heroine. As we watch the, the feats of super faith unfold, we naturally conclude that it would and could never be us. How many people get to be Han Solo and Indiana Jones in one lifetime? Or Mary Poppins or and Maria in less than one year's time? It just does not happen very often, and to, it happens to very few people. I wonder if we transfer that sort of rarity over to real life, again, allowing Hollywood to pollute and confuse reality. While life is, prairie, is very um, prejudiced, that is not the way God rolls. He is an equal opportunity hero maker. God is not one who shows partiality due to a person's station in life or wealth, and he cannot be bribed and manipulated into it. In Deuteronomy 10.17 it says, For the Lord your God is uh, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is a great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. And in Acts 10, it says, Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. God is an equal opportunity hero maker. Heck, even those um, sent by Jesus' enemies uh, admitted that he was impartial and did not play favorites. You can find that in Matthew twenty-two sixteen. 16. Everyone knew Jesus was a straight-shooting, equal-opportunity Savior. No one is more qualified or more advantaged than another when it comes to becoming one of God's champions. Take the famous figures of the Bible, for example. Have you ever been reading along and come across a story of magnificent faith and unbelievable courage and said to yourself, I could never do that? You read about Noah building the ark and Moses parting the sea and David killing Goliath and Joshua defeating Jericho and apostles miraculously healing the sick and diseased. And how did they do that? How did they know they would be victorious, let alone have the moxie to try? Actually, well, if you were reading along, the answer will be evident. More on that in a minute. The trouble comes when you open your Bible and begin reading at those heroic moments and miss the important backstory. In every case that I can think of, the biblical hero's journey did not begin with the exploit they are known for. You don't begin with the trophy. Nor did their relationship with God just begin there. The truth is, beginning at zero is a requirement for making it to hero. No one begins at hero. Stan Lee, may he rest in peace, knew that as well. I'm no superhero uh, aficionado, but uh, and I, you know I don't have any opinion regarding Marvel heroes versus DC, whether it's a movie comparison or one based on the comics alone. But the fictitious superheroes I thought of off the top of my head all have a backstory. Even the villains do. Something happened in their past that pushed them one way or another. Or, or the guide came, a guide came along to show them that their way was either good or, or evil and influenced them down one road or the other. But even that was backstory. Zero becomes, comes before hero. So we can see that in the Bible. Again, let's thumb quickly through some biblical narratives. As a young um, page, as, as you page back through the stories, you keep going until you find the character's origin story. Noah, for instance, already was a righteous and blameless man that walked uh, in close fellowship with God. 
for 600 years prior to the flood. Moses was 80, had a rocky start 40 years earlier, and was still arguing with God when he was called to be a hero. David had already killed a bear and a lion while still a shepherd boy long before he killed Goliath. Joshua had watched Moses lead the people for decades before his big day, yet was still apparently very fearful when God replaced Moses with him. And the apostles had three and a half years with Jesus and made a lot of mistakes before they did anything noteworthy. And for good measure, remember Paul, who became Saul? His backstory is notoriously negative up until his turnaround. Indeed, he was a hero in some people's minds, just not in God's. Little did he know that he was only one short donkey ride away from becoming God's flag bearer. a short break so you can rest your brain. You've been used to a new episode each week as we work through our first three seasons. As we move into season four, the episodes will drop less frequently, but at least once a month. Whatever the reason and from wherever you are listening, we are so glad you have come along for the ride. That is why we are excited to invite you to help us determine some of our future content. At the close of this episode, we will tell you how you can send your questions, ideas for topics, and suggested book reviews. If this podcast is helpful, we ask that you take a moment to rate, follow, and share it on whatever platform you use to stream content, so that others can find us too. All right, let's finish today's episode of this podcast. So, what we're saying is that the hero's story never begins with the story. Um, David's story didn't begin with Goliath. Heroes do not just end up one day, getting up one day, and decide to become the protagonist in some grand narrative that is way beyond them. Even Jesus' life did not begin at his greatest moment of self-sacrifice. He grew into it, Hebrews says. You really need to know the entire story chronologically. Books, especially narratives, are meant to be read from beginning to end. Uh, I heard that collective gas at my profound revelation there. But believe it or not, <laughs> I've heard of people who do, not, who, who, who do read the end before the beginning to make sure it will have a happily ever after ending. But that is not the way the author meant it to be read. Uh, um, reading a novel or biography or history out of chronological order will likely ruin the story if not make it completely unintelligible. The way Sunday school stories are, are told, you would, you would think that a famous Bible character came out of the wound with a sword in hand, slaying giants and leading armies in their diapers, sucking their thumbs. But of course, they did not. They came out as babies and grew up into zeros before they made it to hero. And that is a good place as any to begin to unlock the secret of herohood. When you follow a character through their development, you discover several things about heroes, and villains for that matter, that if understood and applied, will help anyone make it to hero themselves eventually. A hero in God's eyes, anyway. Providentially, we do not have to look far to uncover what it takes to make the journey from zero to hero possible and replicable. In my travels through the biblical narratives, I found several reoccurring plot points that reveal how ordinary folks become heroes. Uh, 
so no one feels that I favor one gender over the other, or that God does, and and um, and so I don't have to keep saying hero or heroine. I'm just going to use the word hero um, generically. Please understand it inclusively as gender neutral, as a representative for everyone. So, what are those common plot points? Number one, God's heroes are not born, they are grown. I really probably already said that to you, so let's just dive right in here. Um, I'm going to just say it again for impact as well. Many of us may be inclined to think that heroes are a special breed of people of which we are not a part, that they are just born that way. But people that do extraordinary things with, not for God, grow into it. They face similar battles and gain invaluable experience along the way. They win some and lose some. But both build strength of character and determination. God's put, God puts pure people in heroic circumstances that he has groomed and prepared for that particular battle and day. Their gifts are not just physical and mental skills, but strength of heart and a well-trained, uh, thoroughly tried God confidence. Jesus is the most famous of all heroes in the Christian world, but even he advanced and grew into who he needed to be, facing Satan and temptation again and again before his final showdown with Satan and death, a showdown that he won decisively. We could debate whether or not Jesus needed the, the practice, but there is no debating that he is our example, and if it shows that he grew into his victory, so must we. If you think about it, greatness is always grown. People with great potential will become people of wasted potential if they do not choose growth. If they choose entitlement or chance or bribery or luck or some other way to get there, their potential is largely wasted. Allow me to revisit Hollywood for an unexpectedly realistic example. While I was thinking about uh, Harrison Ford and Julie Andrews earlier, um, I checked out Chris Pratt's IMBD profile. Long before playing Owen Grady in Jurassic World or Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy, he was anything but a hero. Way down in the credits, under miscellaneous crew, you find assistant to the producer on a movie called The Steel from 1995. Since he was born in 1979, uh, that makes him about 16. Did not know what that job entailed, because it doesn't give you details there, but I see a grunt fetching Starbucks and running errands. Surely that was formative for him. Surely that gave him an appetite and vision and even some idea of behind-the-scenes working of a Hollywood movie set. Even Star-Lord has an unheroic backstory. Do I even need to say that it takes work and consistency and determination to become a hero? Dare I say that the heroic is a result of personal choice, not random selection? Heroes are not the result of activating a massive dormant genetic potential, but little steps of everyday bravery by everyday people. Heroes are not the result of activating in a moment some massive dormant genetic potential, but little steps of everyday bravery by everyday people. Every single biblical character that eventually became the subject of children's Bible stories had a moment in their life, no, scratch that, had innumerable moments where they were forced with a, faced with a decision to do something that eventually added up to heroic growth. 
They had to choose to bloom where they were planted. Joseph was a servant and later in jail. Moses on the backside of the desert long before the burning bush moment. Joshua as, as, as assistant to the producer, Moses. David in the, the fields herding sheep. Jesus disciplines disciples every time he said or, or did something inexplicable or offensive to their leaders and contrary to their tradition and beloved way of life. How many hundreds did I miss? Hundreds of thousands, not even recorded in the biblical narrative or historical records. God wants men and women who serve faithfully right where they are. That refer that that addresses those of you out there that are, are spiritual coaches and serve in some spiritual setting, as well as those you're going to speak to and encourage and, 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 and give vision to. God wants men and women who serve faithfully right where they are. Whether the job and position are glorious or inglorious, whether they are being watched or when in private, whether there appears to be room for advancement there or not, whether it is completely incongruent with their previous with their with their um, previous interests and dreams and, and and experience, whether it seems to fit what God has revealed would someday be or not, whether it blah blah blah. The key is not to be in the right place, at the right time. Yes, the key is not to be in the right place at the right time, which is out of our control and can't be staged. The secret is to be the right person when the opportunity comes to do the mundane and ordinary with extraordinary faithfulness. The secret is to be the right person when the opportunity comes to do the mundane with ordinary and extraordinary faithfulness. People do not become heroes as a result of happenstance and luck, but consistency and integrity. Said another way, God's heroes are not fortunate, they are faithful. God's heroes are not fortunate, they are faithful. Heroes do not sit around doing little or nothing, waiting for the heroic to come to them. They get up, do what is in front of them to do, and are ready to seize the moment when providence gives them the opportunity of a lifetime. They pray to God and row towards the shore. They do the last thing God told them to do until God gives them a new thing to do. And they do it in humble dependence on God, not in arrogant, self-promoting independence and stubborn selfishness. So, one... God's heroes are not born, they are grown. Two, God's heroes are not super saints, they are simply saints. Again, for emphasis, simple saints, as common as you and I. If you read the end of their story first, it is only natural to imagine these people were extraordinary super saints, or just plain crazy. It would be natural to look at their feats of valor and faith and conclude that they were uh, not just normal Joe or Joanna. But when you look more carefully into their story, you find that this is seldom the case, especially not at the beginning of their journey. And the Bible makes no effort to gloss over their warts and scars. They all were born the same way and put on their pants or skirts one leg at a time. Their humble beginnings were the perfect place from which to follow God's lead step after laborious step. If you feel rather normal and unexceptional, take heart. You are in good company. Take heart. You have the makings of greatness in you. Take heart. You are hero material. Go ahead and read the qualifications for elders that you find in the pastoral epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Go into 1st Timothy 3, 1 through 13 and read. Everything you find there is just a restatement of what any and every Christ follower should be doing. 
Apart from you know particular gifts of hospitality and teaching, which are needed to serve in the office of elder, you'd have a description of Joe and Joanna normal, or, or at least normal Christian. It, it even says that the church leaders should not be new or young believers to protect them from pride when the devil tries to take them down. Can anyone say backstory? They have to have won some smaller everyday battles first. A little later, it says that those who are appointed to serve as deacons should be closely examined, and they must pass some sort of test to prove that they are ready to serve. Um, do you hear the echo? Backstory, 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 backstory. Nothing in those requirements for church leaders is out of the ordinary or special or unique above any other Christ follower. True. These leaders need certain gifts, but that does not make them heroes. That makes them properly gifted to fill the position. They just have to have a backstory that prepares them to serve and lead. What qualifies them beyond the gift is their track record. Things like how they are perceived by those outside the church. It matters. None of that is extraordinary. It seems that the more ordinary you are, the better the candidate you are for herohood. There are no super saints. There are only simply saints. They were given more visible missions, maybe, some, but that does not make them extraordinary unless faithfulness in the mundane and routine makes you special. The difference is not um, the saint. It is in the job that God gives them. Follow closely on the heels of this. Coming up um, comes the next reassuring truth. But you will have to wait for part two of our next episode. New this season, you can find the transcripts of these podcasts on my blog site. These show notes not only include the the script I use, but also often include more Bible references than I share on air. And like with this episode, uh, direct links to books that I might suggest for further reading, or I'm going to suggest one in the next episode. And any other helpful links obviously aren't possible to provide any other way. Just go to tworivers.church.com. Backslash, backslash, brave the rapids. No hyphens, just two rivers dot church. Backslash, brave the rapids. Next time on the spiritual coaching dashboard, I will wrap up by sharing the final four steps to becoming God's hero. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, do not waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how God would have you work the new thought into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been. We firmly believe that God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future. A transformation that frees us to be wholeheartedly available to Him and those near us. As we walk into that healing, we gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into the life and impact God has for us. And when we experience that for ourselves, it gives us a compelling story from which to call others to experience the same. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of our podcast, here as promised is the contact information. The email address is carrie at tworivers.church or text at scdashboard from the social media platform of your choice. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.